Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter number 17. I will be reading from a somewhat obscure uh, version, a somewhat obscure translation. It is the voice translation. Uh, You may be able to follow along on the screens with me as we read together from Exodus chapter number 17, as we put a frame around this idea of God being a promise keeper. And the first promise we're going to explore this morning is his promise of peace in the midst of trouble. Somebody said amen. He is the Prince of Peace. The scripture says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, he is the God of peace in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In fact, the scripture declares that Every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. Every promise of God is yes. And our part is just a high five that yes with an amen, so be it. Because the God we serve is a promise keeper. I'll begin reading at verse number one from Exodus chapter number 17. It says the entire community of Israel traveled in stages out of the desert of sin, just as the eternal instructed. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there to quench their thirst. And once again, the people (laughs) complained to Moses. I was fascinated by those two verses of scripture because there is a lot to consider as we navigate those verses. Number one, notice what the scripture says. The scripture says the entire community of Israel traveled in stages. How many of you realize that God rarely does everything all at once? That you are where you are not by accident. And God was leading 3 million people out of 420 years of bondage into a place flowing with milk and honey. Most commentators said this trip should have lasted approximately 11 to 21 days, depending on who you read. Yet, they were in the wilderness 40 years. But every single stage God brought them to was a test, though. And how many of you realize that you can't move from one stage to the next until you successfully complete and pass the coursework for that stage? And here God is saying, I'm trying to accelerate this process. And most times we think we're waiting on God to do it. And God says, no, I'm waiting on you. I gave you one stage to navigate, but instead of doing it my way, you did it your way. And so let's take one more lap around this stage. And while God was trying to get them there in 21 days, it took them 40 years because they didn't realize that God leads us in stages. Let me talk to you about, talk to you about the stages because that word translated stages is a Hebrew word, maka. It means to put down your stakes and to uproot them. Let me put that in perspective for you. I like to call it the inconvenience of obedience. Because this is three million people who are moving solely by God's instruction. When God says move, they got to pick up and move. There is no sense of permanence about their lives. Now imagine three million people. Is that about half the population of DFW? Is that right? About six million people, is that right? In the desert. And all they do is follow a cloud. When the cloud stops, they stop. 
and they've got to put their stakes down and they have to pitch their tents. Five hours later, cloud starts moving. And all of a sudden, I've got to pick up what I planted and follow the cloud. How many of you realize that sometimes being smack dab in the middle of the will of God is very inconvenient? But in every stage of the journey, God was testing them to see if they could trust him in dry places. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. We think that sometimes serving God is only about the green pastures and the still waters. And if I'm going to experience peace, God give me a Psalm 23 testimony. Yet here we find that God is leading his people by stages. I wonder what stage you're in right now in this season of your life. I wonder what God is trying to reveal to you about himself and reveal to you about you in this stage. Because this stage matters. What I learn in this stage and what I submit to and yield to in this stage depends or determines how quickly I move to the next stage because it is my obedience that schedules my seasons. I hope y'all heard that. My obedience to God schedules my seasons because I don't get from this stage to the next stage unless I learn and complete the lessons of this stage before he can move me on. And most of us are saying, when, God, when? And God is saying, when, child, when? And most of us have settled for another lap. And we miss the peace of God. We miss the peace of God. Notice that the scripture says that God led them in stages just as he instructed. And the scripture says that they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there to quench their thirst. I got a problem with that, Jesus. Why are you going to bring three million people out of, the, out of bondage into a place and tell me to stop here and you ain't make no provision for water? They didn't choose to stop there. God instructed them to stop in Rephidim, a place where there was no water. I'm talking to that one who is grasping for God. God, where are you? Because I thought when you said you were going to bring me out, my life was going to be a little bit better than it is right now. Notice they were in the middle of the will of God, and they found themselves in a barren place with no water. It's a scary place. It's an uncertain place to know that you heard God to know that God was leading you, to know that God is leading you. And you get there and you do exactly what God told you to do, but he puts you in a place where there's no water. Can I tell you something about dry seasons? Can I tell you about the dry season you may be experiencing? Sometimes God brings us into a dry season to reveal something of himself that we haven't yet seen. Maybe you know him as a God who can bring you out of 420 years of bondage, but can you discover him? 
as a God who will cause water to flow in dry places. Yeah, yeah. When God brings you out stage by stage and he instructs you to come to a place that is barren, there is something of himself that he wants to reveal to you that you haven't seen yet. Because you may know him as the fire by night and the cloud by day. But can you know him as the God who can cause rivers to flow in barren places? Just in case you think this is unique to the Israelites, the scripture declares in Matthew chapter 4 that even God's own son, being full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit of God. Where? Into the wilderness. Who sent Jesus into the wilderness? It wasn't his idea. It was God who told him, you go into a barren place and there you will be tested even before your earthly ministry begins. Who was leading Jesus? Holy Spirit. And Jesus was led while he was full of the Holy Spirit. May I submit to you this morning, City Church, that you might be in a barren place because God led you there. And there's something of his character and his nature that he will reveal in that barren place. And can I tell you, Moses can't do it for you. That's the second thing I won't show you. Because a lot of times when life gets hard, and life gets barren, our frustration is misplaced. Notice, Moses was just doing what God told him to do. And he did what God instructed him to do and brought them to a barren place. And notice their response in verse 2. It says, once again, the people complained against Moses. Because whoever you turn to first in the time of your adversity reveals where you've placed your trust. You know what I was saying? He's saying, when you find yourself in Rephidim, don't turn to Moses. Turn to me. Turn to me. God brings us to places where he forces us to turn to him. For the scripture says, cursed is the man. Cursed is the man who puts his trust in the arm of flesh. Where God has us right now as a church, my dependence is entirely upon him. Because human beings be tripping. If it's going to happen in Rephidim, it's up to him. Can I mess you up a little bit further? Can I mess you up a little bit further? You know what the, the word Rephidim means? It means bed or place of rest. Why would God bring them to a place called a place of rest? and not make provision in advance for them. Why would God bring you to Rephidim? And may I also remind you that Rephidim is somewhere between where you were and where you're going. And that often in Rephidim, there's going to be a temptation to go back to what is familiar and what is comfortable and what is convenient. But may I also remind you that when you find yourself in Rephidim, what God is doing is he's trying to get Egypt out of you. You see, God got them out of Egypt successfully, but before he could bring them into Canaan, he had to get Egypt out of them. I'm talking to somebody this morning. The problem is that God has you in a place and it's forcing stuff that's in you out of you because he, you can't bring that forward to where he's taking you. It is the power of Rephidim.
In Rephidim, God will bring you into a place of contradiction. He will bring you to a place called rest. He will bring you to a place where you think you're supposed to be lying in your bed only to find ain't no water here. Hmm? Listen to me. Listen to me. In Rephidim, the lesson of Rephidim is that God wants to teach us. He wants to remind us not to look to man to fulfill you in ways only God can. Y'all not hearing me? In Rephidim, the temptation is going to be to look to Moses to fix your problem. Moses can't do it. Moses cannot fulfill you in ways only God can. That's the problem with the woman at the well. She married five times, and every time she squeezed another man, hoping that peace and joy and fulfillment would come up. And then the sixth guy, she said, why even go down the, down the aisle or go down to the altar? Let me just shack up with him. Let me just settle. Because I tried it five times, didn't work. What's the difference? I marry him and they leave me. Why don't I just live with him and not even spend no money on the wedding? Or the dress, or the ring. Because every time she looked for someone to fulfill her in ways that only God could. And nothing about her life changed until she encountered the seventh man. I'm talking to somebody. Don't settle for no knuckleheads. And don't expect them to fulfill you in ways that only God can. God has you in Rephidim on purpose. He has you in Rephidim to reveal himself to you, reveal a side of himself that you've never seen. And number two, he's, he's put you in Rephidim to cause you to confront what has been the source of your help. You have looked to men to fulfill you in ways only God can. Let me, let, me, let me talk to you about the other side of Rephidim. In Rephidim, God will also cause you to confront and challenge all the people that are looking to you to fulfill them in ways that only God can. Y'all didn't hear me. There are certain people in your life that are sucking the life out of you, and you just have to pump the brakes, shut it down, and look them in the eye and tell them, I cannot fulfill you the way God can. In Rephidim, he will cause you to challenge your codependent relationships. Most of us thrive because people depend on us. We find our sense of self and our sense of worth by how many people rely on us. But in the process, they're looking to you and not to him. And God will bring you to Rephidim, not only to expose your unhealthy dependence on man, but also to expose you who require people to need you. Because now Moses ain't got no answers for these people in Rephidim. Three million people, where the water going to come from? Not even counting the camels and the livestock. God's got you right where he wants you. And he's hidden in plain sight. Because he's right there in Rephidim. But he's in Rephidim to force some things out of us. Mm. 
notice what they said when they complained against Moses. Notice what they said when they complained against Moses. Notice what they said when they complained against Moses. You brought us here. You brought us here to kill us. You brought us here to kill us. Notice that in our dry seasons, in our dry seasons, we often develop, listen to me, tunnel vision. In our dry seasons, we develop tunnel vision. And let me tell you what I'm talking about. In our dry seasons, uh, it'll cause us to focus only on the problem. Until, listen to me, we focus only on the problem till all we see is the problem. You're not hearing me. Rephidim, dry seasons, if we're not careful, will cause us to fixate and focus on the problem so long that all we see is the problem. And how many of you realize that right now, with these blinders on, all I see is my Bible and my phone? But how many of you realize that there is a lot more activity happening in this room right now than what I can see? And let me tell you something. Most of us have lost our peace because all we see is the problem. And how many of you realize that what I keep my mind on, I stay in contact with? Because my life and your life will always move in the direction of your most dominant thought. Whatever consumes your mind is the direction in which your life will move. And when you become so fixated on your problem, you make your problem bigger than your God. And you lose your peripheral vision and you stop seeing God at work in your life. And it happens in a place called Rephidim. Why does God bring us to Rephidim? He brings us to Rephidim to help us deal with our tunnel vision. And there are some of us in this room this morning who all we see is the problem and we've lost sight of the promise keeper. We've lost sight of the promise keeper. And the only thing that will break that tunnel vision is when God brings you to a place where no man can help you, no human being can fix it, it will force you to look beyond the problem to the promise. Notice what they said. Said, Moses, you brought us here to kill us. Because that's where they had placed their trust. Moses, you brought us here. Moses, you did this. Moses, you did this. When the scripture says the whole time it was God who was leading them. God was leading them. This is what tunnel vision will do. It will cause us to exaggerate our circumstances and minimize our God. Tunnel vision will cause us to fixate on the problem instead of focusing on God's purpose. Tunnel vision will cause us to be emotional when we should be rational. Can I say this? This fourth truth about Rephidim? Because Moses, the people come to Moses, and Moses said, man, Lord, what am I going to do with these people? What am I going to do with them? Show me what to do with these people. And may I submit to you that in Rephidim, it may not be about what God wants you to show the people, 
It may be about what God wants to show the people about himself. Moses said, what do I do with these people? What am I going to do with these people? And God says, Moses, we are about to play a little game of show and tell. In Rephidim, God reveals something of himself that we've never seen before. Notice what the scripture says. In verse 5, he instructs him and he says to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders with you. I love that because what God is about to do next in your life, as he brings you out of Rephidim, he's going to do for everybody to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not just about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. And he will reveal something of himself through you and he will do it on full display. Notice he told him, go ahead and bring the elders with you. And he goes on and he says, also be sure to bring your shepherd's staff, the one with which you struck the Nile. Listen to what God is telling Moses. He said, I'm gonna do for you what I've done before. Everything you need is already in your hand. The problem with Rephidim is we start looking for solutions elsewhere when God says everything you need for this season of your life is already in your hand and it's what you have tested and tried and proven. That same stick I used to part the Red Sea is the stick I'm going to use right here in Rephidim. The problem, the problem with us in Rephidim is we develop an acute case of amnesia. Didn't God just part the Red Sea. And the scripture says the walls of the Red Sea were congealed. That means they froze while they walked on dry ground. How soon we forget that what God did at the Red Sea, he wants to do again in Rephidim. He says, what's in your hand? What about my character and my faithfulness can you remember? Remember when I did that for you? 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 And he says, you know what's going to get you out of Rephidim? It's what you already have in your hand. The third thing he says in verse 6. Do we have verse 6 on the screen? Because I love verse 6. Y'all notice what verse 6 says? Is this the voice translation? He says, I will be there when you arrive. Our God is hidden in plain sight. God says, I'm already there. I'm already there. I am already there. I'm in the midst of your problem. I'm in the midst of your trouble. I am your solution. I am everything that you need. I am that I am. He didn't say, I'm going to show up when you get there. He said, I'm going to be there when you arrive. And he said, I'll be standing at the rock of Horeb waiting for you, waiting for you. Just on Friday, they announced at my job that they're shutting down 
all of our product service centers, about 25 around the country. That's another 500 plus employees. Everybody freaking out. Because in March, we let 250 go. In July, we let another 150 go. Now they're looking at another 500. People tripping. But can God still be God in Rephidim? The time to play games with God is over. He is forcing you into a place where you must trust him and trust him alone. Not Moses, the God who's the promise keeper. Forcing us back to our knees again. Forcing us back to a place of trust again. Forcing us back to a place of yielding to him and him alone. And he brings us to a place, a barren place, a dry place, so that he can become our all in all. Not your spouse, not your boyfriend, not your job, not your sense of self-worth. Only him and him alone. I'm, I'm, I, I hope you hear what the Lord is saying. You are not in Rephidim by accident. You are not in this dry, barren place by accident. You are here, you are there on purpose so that he can reveal something of himself for your children that are acting crazy. He brought you to Horeb. He brought you to Rephidim so that you can trust him to cause water to flow out of a rock for your babies. Nobody going to do it for you but the promise keeper. But the promise keeper. But the promise keeper. No amount of counseling, no amount of talk, no amount of arguments, no amount of punishment, but the promise keeper. God is bringing our church into a place where we rely entirely on him. On him. Because the only place that water going to come from is out of a rock. And Moses does not have the ability in and of himself to water three million people in the midst of a desert lest the promise keeper intervene. And there are some of you, some of us, in a place that requires divine intervention. Divine intervention. And I know this what he says. He said, I'm going to be there. Can I assure you this morning, City Church, that God is already there? He's right there with you, hidden in plain sight. Israelites didn't understand it. They were blaming Moses, but it was God who was leading them. Can I just assure you that if you find yourself in Rephidim this morning, God's already there. Psalm 46 and verse 1 says, our God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in our time of trouble. Verse 6 says, I will be there when you arrive. Standing at the rock of Horeb. And he said, I want you to strike the rock with your staff. Lord, this don't make no sense. Why we can't dig a well? There's three million of us out here. Everybody can grab a shovel and we can all start digging. No, strike the rock. 
Obey the illogical instruction. And that is where I will reveal myself to you. What's God saying to you in this season? That may seem contradictory to your circumstances. Obey the illogical instruction. He said, I want you to strike the rock with your staff. And when you do, water will flow out of it so that everyone will have enough to drink. And then Moses, the scripture says, Moses named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and tested the eternal one saying, is he standing with us or not? Isn't that true about what Rephidim will do? Is God standing with me or not? God, just show up and fix this thing and do this thing now so I can know that you're with me. But there's something about the peace of God that we experience in Rephidim. Remember, it is a place of rest. But God will often uh, uh, bring us to a place, a barren place, so that we can experience him, him in a new way. And out of that new revelation of who God is, we will experience his peace. Yeah. In Horeb. In Horeb and Rephidim is where we see something new of God. And in a place that was once barren, we experience the peace of God. Can I just admonish you and say this? Let's learn something from what Moses did. And not allow our last bad experience to define or determine the end of the story. Moses had several options. He could have named that place the place where God provides. But sometimes we get so fixated on what happened in Rephidim that we cause our last bad experience to define the end of the story. You know what God is saying to us in Rephidim today? He's saying change the narrative. Change the narrative. Rephidim is the place where I will encounter the God of peace. Rephidim will not just be known as a place that was barren and dry, but it will be known as the place where God caused water to flow out of a rock. And in that place, I will experience the peace of God. Let me close with these verses on the peace of God. Notice what the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. These are promises. These are promises that God will be your God of peace, even while you're in Rephidim. He says, I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts me. In Rephidim, make sure your mind is fixed on him. Because our lives will always move in the, direct, the direction of our most dominant thought. If we are going to experience God as the God of peace, my mind must once again be stayed, fixed on him. Notice what he says in Philippians chapter 4, and you can start to play. You can start to play and the band can come because we're closing here. Somebody said in the back to me when I said there were over 7,000 divine promises, Say, yeah, Pastor Reed, you can probably get through all 7,000 if you cut out two or three of your closings. (laughs) 
Pastor Jesse. <laughs> so I'm going to try to get to all 7,000 because today I only got one closing. Notice Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. Uh, if you find yourself in Rephidim in a dry place, know that your God is already there. And so he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Tell him what you need. If you need healing in your body, if you need restoration of a child, if you need healing in a relationship, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Notice, how do I access it? I do the things I just read in verse 6 and 7, but notice verse 8. He says, finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know how I experience the peace of God? You know how he becomes the God of peace? You know how he becomes the prince of peace? I think on these things. Not on the size of the problem, but on the certainty of the promise. This morning, God wants to reveal himself as the God of peace. And he wants to remind us that he brought us to Rephidim on purpose. Not to kill us, but to reveal something of himself that we've never seen before. As you read the New Testament, the Bible says that Christ was that rock that Moses struck. And this morning, he wants to be Christ, the promise keeper to each of us. I found this quote as I was studying uh, for the message, and this is where I close. What's that quote from Michael Cunningham again? Uh, uh, I don't have it in my notes. Do you have it there, Kelly? Oh, there it is. You cannot find peace by avoiding life. Can I just say that most of us retreat, we disconnect, because we think that sometimes if I retreat and disconnect, that trouble will go away. If I avoid life and I avoid life's challenges, that somehow it'll go away. But I just want to submit to you this morning, City Church, that sometimes our peace is found in the midst of the storm. When we find Jesus once again as our Prince of Peace. Let me pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at If you are encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text City Church TV and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 
8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.